0: Sports, Ethos, New York Knicks, podcast, Andre Galliber. I'm sitting very comfortably right now. I'm sitting, I'm leaning back. You might hear the chair squeaking. I try to take care of it. What do you want me to do? I'm not a pro. Trying to, trying to get my thoughts together, trying to keep my cool. I, too, am frustrated with the way this team played. And... I'm not going to say has been playing. I think that's where people lose the high ground in these discussions. The Knicks didn't play poorly against the Bucks. They didn't play poorly against Memphis. And those teams were objectively the better team, right? So you have to be fair there. It feels like those losses were worse than they were. Somebody made a comment on Twitter And I'm going to go through some tweets on my timeline on the show today. I'm going to start with that. But this guy made a a very good comment, a very uh, insightful comment on Twitter, as simple as it was. He said, the Knicks record doesn't accurately portray how depressing the team has been. And you can take depressing any way you like personally, but the Knicks have not... The Knicks have not been as bad. Objectively, they've not been as bad as observers would say, Knicks fans would say, because they've had very bad moments, very bad games that have been terrible basketball. And you see that, and you make that the whole season. But then they've had stretches, and they've had games where they've played good basketball and, and have lost. The Bucks game and the Memphis game, and the Portland game. Good examples. They didn't play terribly in those games. They had chances to win all three of those games. You can't look at those games and criticize the team as a whole for their play. But those are three losses on their schedule. And frankly, those are the three losses that they're under 500 because of, frankly. That said, the games have been depressing. As a whole, the team has been depressing as a whole because you're seeing things, and I've talked about this all season. You're seeing the player development of a lot of the players on the team, the coaching style, and approach from the staff. You're seeing holes and negatives in those two things that I've always said all season. That's what you're looking for this year. It's not can it can they be 500 and they still can't be. Some of you people are really stupid because you think because they're 10 and 13 they can't still be around 500 at the end of the season. That's just dumb. At the same time, though, you're not seeing the development from the players and the coaching the way you'd like. And I all along said that's what you're looking for: game in, game night, game out, and. RJ Barrett and I won't, I'll start I'll start with him because I'm always on Julius. RJ Barrett right now is a defensive sieve on par with Evan Fournier. And this is a player who told you last season he wanted to be a great two-way player, wanted to wanted to guard the best offensive player on the other team and he can't get around any screens properly he, he's not even a physical defender you take a guy like dylan brooks a player the knicks have just gone up against you take this guy he's not incredibly athletic he's not incredibly agile He's just a physical defender. And once you get a reputation as a physical defender, the referees will give you a little leeway. Last game against Memphis, not the best example because he fouled out in that game. But he's going to foul excessively. You don't have to be as physical as him, but you can be more physical than than he is. One of the strengths of Quentin Grimes is that he uses his forearm to knock guards off their path when he's going over screens. If you watch, that's one of the things he does. He has to get his body over screens too. We won't break the whole thing down, but he knocks guards off that path when he's going over that screen, and it gives him room to get over it, and it gives him an opportunity to catch back up to them. RJ is just getting beat clean on it. this getting beat clean. It's like he's not even there. And you saw Grayson Allen and Mike Budenholzer target him in that... In that Milwaukee game, not going to Giannis down the stretch of that game, but going to Grayson Allen on dribble handoffs incessantly to attack R.J. Barrett. To attack R.J. Barrett with Grayson Allen. The Knicks lost that game because they could not stop Grayson Allen on a dribble handoff play with R.J. Barrett guarding him. You can point out about a dozen things that are wrong with this team that this team doesn't do night in, night out. A lot of times, these criticisms come without perspective. There's a lot of teams that have flaws. Some of the best teams in the league have flaws. Some of the better teams in the league lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to. A lot of the things that the Knicks do or don't do that are negative, other teams do too, or they have other things that they do that the Knicks do well and they don't. So you really have to kind of dig into the weeds and see, okay, what is the Knicks problem? For a long time, it's been defensive rebounds. We'll go into that. But focusing on R.J. Barrett, you can't have a guy play as many minutes as R.J. Barrett does and be a sieve defensively the way he is. The Knicks should not have R.J. Barrett being attacked by Grayson Allen down a stretch of games. To win the game. And that be the reason why they... That's really the reason why Milwaukee kept scoring down the stretch. And then you move to Tom Thibodeau, who is slow to make adjustments. And that bothers me, personally. And I said this in a previous show. I'm an adjustment guy. i If I see... Some can argue that you can make adjustments too quickly. You have to understand that there are variables sometimes when things don't work out the way you want and you planned, you have to look and you have to say, all right, so this happened, this is not going to happen every single time, so I'll try it again. Thibodeau has gotten himself to a place where he's consistently going down with the ship on matchups that are killing the team. In fairness to him in that in that Milwaukee game, he couldn't – if he sw- – he should have switched someone on to Grayson Allen. It would have taken probably no more than two possessions before they started attacking R.J. Barrett with the person he switched to at the time, I believe it was Connington. They probably would have done the same thing with Connington. But he would have stolen a possession at least where they would have been, they would have been smacked in the face a little bit with Quentin Grimes being on Grayson Allen and not getting off that screen quite as easily right? At least try it. Not to say that they wouldn't have figured it out. Maybe they still scored in that possession, but at least try it. He didn't try to switch. He didn't make Milwaukee do anything differently, not in a timely fashion. The Knicks lost that game because they couldn't stop Grayson Allen on dribble handoffs. But back to R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett's inability to rotate quickly, rotate properly, hustle to lose balls, Box out. His rebound number's a little bit up, but box out. You saw the same thing happen in in the, what game was it? Was it the Milwaukee game? Well, in the Memphis game against Ja down the stretch, Ja got blocked. And he picked the ball right back up and went up. RJ Barrett was just watching the play. He was close to it. He was watching the play. To To Ja's credit, he did it very quickly. It was very quick. But you got to be quick, too, and reputation precedes you. He is a watcher. Too often in the game, he is just staring at the play. You saw another play in a Memphis game where a guy took a corner three and the ball was short and it bounced right back to him. He contested the corner three, turned around, and just watched the shot as it was going. He does this all the time. watch the shot as it's going in or about to miss and doesn't do anything in between the play. Just kind of stuck on stupid. He does that all the time. He just frozen by the play. These are things that I would personally scout. I mean, I, mean, I don't know if you teach that. Because I think that's more a focused thing. I think that's a habit thing. I always hated watchers on defense. I I can't stand it. when I When I played, I couldn't stand it. I can't stand it when I see it. I can't stand it when I play 2K. I can't stand it. Play until the play is done. A shot goes up, you have responsibilities. When a shot goes up, you have responsibilities. Box out. That's your number one thing to do. Track the ball when it's coming up the rim. Find a body to box out. You can't just watch. What are you doing? R.J. Barrett, and again, we pick on Julius Randall all the time, and he's not absolved here. But R.J. Barrett's lack of efficiency offensively consistently combined with his lack of focus, we'll call it, on defense, lack of ability even on defense, makes him honestly very easy to replace in your lineup and be just as good if not better. Some people look at averages and they say, just like when a guy's injured in a game, right? Guy's injured. I've had people say he averages twenty points per game, so you take that off, you know, they're gonna they're gonna lose because they can't they can't make that twenty points a game up. That's not how that works. The shots are gonna be redistributed to other people. Everything that person does is either going to be done by the replacement, or in most cases is going to be picked up by other people. You saw that in the Memphis in Memphis last year where Jones would replace Ja when he would be hurt and Memphis was better without Ja than they were with him. Now, that comes to a head in the playoffs. You need a Ja Morant. You need superstars in the playoffs more than anything else. When you have a good, solid team, good, solid coaching, you can, you can miss a superstar and, and scratch out wins in the regular season. It's the playoffs where... That becomes a challenge. You need guys at the end of games who can score and get fouled and get to the line and be unstoppable. That's what the Knicks don't have, right? But RJ Barrett, because of his inefficiency offensively, because he's not a great rebounder, because he's not great at creating offense for others, and because he's terrible defensively. Because he doesn't always follow through on his responsibilities, rotating, guarding his man, etc. It makes him easy to replace. You want statistical proof of that? Go look at his value above replacement. He's one of the worst players in the league. And if you're a Nick fan, you need to be depressed. Don't be depressed about Randall. Be depressed about Archie. That guy is supposed to be the future of your franchise. And you're looking at his gameplay, and you cannot win consistently when someone is playing like that. Now, to me, a lot of his defensive woes can be changed in a practice, a film session. Maybe not all, but a lot. And then that's what frustrates me. Because if they've done that with him and he's still poor, then be depressed. If they've not done that with him or not, or maybe not have done it effectively, then get ready of the coaching staff. Get ready of the coaching staff. There are guys on the roster that know how to get over those screens. There are guys on the roster who know how to do it. There are guys on the roster who know how to close out and not get attacked incessantly the way RJ does. Like looks like a looks like a baby deer out there when he's closing out. Just all off balance, easily beat. He's playing in too many minutes to be that inefficient in that poor. Too many minutes. And that's your future. You see, Nick fans all the time talking about trading Randall. It's such a misunderstanding about the Knicks not trading Randall. You think it's a choice? It's not a choice. They can't trade Randall. Went back and forth with somebody on Twitter trying to tell me that Randall was objectively worth a first-round draft pick. No, he is not. No, he is not. That is objectively false. And you don't know what you're talking about. There are too many Nick fans that are Nick fans and not NBA fans. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a master of player value. I'm not. I've been checked myself on player value. But you're watching Julius Randle, and you're not seeing all the things that Julius Randle isn't doing. Or, I'm sorry, you're, you're seeing all the things that he is doing and not seeing all the things he's not doing. He is not consistent at any aspect of the game. So no, no team can really count on anything with him. His numbers are very good. Not very good, but they're good. They're decent. But when you watch him, you know that you don't know what you're going to get from him. He had that game in Detroit where he hit all those threes and he came out against the Bucks and couldn't hit anything. And he takes bad ones. He takes, he takes threes like he's Jason Tatum. And listen, again, have perspective. Don't just be a Knicks fan, be an NBA fan. There are a lot of guys that you love who go out there who who can't hit the broad side of the barn on the night. The problem is, it's too many nights. You look at his three-point shooting percentage, it's approaching average for the NBA. But the problem is, most guys who are average three-point shooters in the NBA are not so aggressive shooting them with hands in their face. He is planning on shooting these threes. It's almost as if he sees a defender there, and he's like, you know what, I'm just going to shoot this anyway. I don't think he can do anything about this shot. He's right here in front of my face. It's like it's two seconds on a shot clock or something. Man, put the ball on the floor. He's sitting standing right there. You're not that kind of shooter. That kind of decision making, nobody wants to pay for that. Nobody wants to be bogged down on their salary cap with that kind of shooting. He's not making that much money. It's a lot of overstatement when it comes to his money per year. It's the fact that there's so many years and you don't know what you're getting for him. You don't know what you're getting. He's actually a solid rebounder by the numbers. But there are so many rebounds he doesn't get. <laughs> Why aren't you getting that rebound? Why haven't you boxed that person out to get that rebound? It's almost like if the rebound is in his area, he will get it. But how about the rebounds that aren't? Can you chase it down? No, you're not. And everyone sees it. They see you. And it's the same with RJ. They have two guys on the floor who are not busting their hump every day. And if you look, and if you look at... Julius' body language, you can tell that he has checked out some games. He's checked out because he's not getting the ball. He's playing a good soldier, but he wants the ball. And the problem is that he doesn't know what shots he wants. And again, that's coaching. Julius has been here for three years under Tom Thibodeau, four years in general. It's coaching. Tell him what shots to take. Tell him this is your shot. This is what you do when that shot is taken away. Tell him. Tell him. His shot profile is better this year than it's been in the past. That's a fact. That's a fact. It's still terrible, though. He's not taking the stupid mid-range shots the way he was before, but now he's taking stupid threes. I don't mind the stupid twos that he takes. I'm sorry, I don't. I think he's very judicious around the rim, and he shouldn't be. He gets, he'll have a mismatch and, and pound the ball down to five feet from in front of the rim, and he'll jump in, in, in the air trying to find somebody to pass to. Man, shoot that shot. He's, he's always been a very good player in the paint, and he, it's, the, it's the least likely place to find him on any day is in the paint. He's there more, but still not enough. And I understand, oh, this is basically Mitchell Robinson. He's not the only one who plays with poor spacing. You've seen, you've seen Jalen be top five in the league scoring in the paint with the same spacing. And listen, I understand that you're dealing with Jalen is often guarded by, you know, smaller players. He's guarded by point guards who aren't necessarily good at guarding people in the paint. But that's not always the case. They put bigger guys on Jalen sometimes. Why doesn't Randall want to go down there and mix it up? Get, I know he doesn't get a lot of foul calls. I know he's frustrating that Mitchell's always down there. But you see other teams, they have the skill to get into the paint, draw a second defender, and find a way to get the drop-off pass to their center. Why don't you know how to do that? You know why? You know what the first problem is? It's not just lack of passing ability in that situation. It's, it's the fact that he doesn't blow by his man ever. And the same thing with RJ. When you don't blow by your man, it's harder to make those passes. The center doesn't have to fly over to stop you, get himself out of balance, off balance, and fly in the air trying to cut off your your finish attempt, block your finish attempt. He can actually slide over and be in good defensive position, a position that's harder for you to get that drop-off pass to his man on. Brook Lopez is masterful at it. But it starts with the primary... Ball handler actually getting a step on their man. And R.J. and Julius don't do that. They don't do it. And with Brunson, even when he doesn't do it quite as much, but when he does do it, once he gets into the paint, much like Derrick Rose, that's his shot. He doesn't need to get to the front of the rim. He doesn't need to get to the backboard, you know, fingertips on the backboard to lay the ball up. Which is RJ's problem and Julius's problem? They need to get to the front of the to the, to the front of the rim to actually attack the rim. Their little in-between game. Have you seen a little bit more from RJ? The in-between game is lacking. You don't see enough attempts from Julius driving to the basket and going up. I just told you he jumps in the air trying to find somebody to pass to when he gets in that situation. The same place on the floor that Jalen is making a living, he gets to and he looks a pass. There's nothing that you can count on. With Julius offensively It's one day he has it And one day he doesn't There's nothing he goes to Is it consistently You know that you can get This offense from him That's their problem And it's so obvious And ostentatious When it comes to Julius Because he takes Such bad shots And his numbers Don't look terrible Because some And I told you this A million times Even in the same game He can take terrible shots In that game In a quarter And then come back The next quarter And not take terrible shots and then you look at the numbers at the end of the game, and it evens out a lot of times. You look at his numbers on the season, it's like, oh, his numbers aren't too bad. But if you watch it, you know he comes out heat-checking in the first quarter, or he comes out heat-checking in the third quarter, and it gets the Knicks in a hole. It's bad mojo. It's bad offense. It's bad mojo for the team. and makes it a struggle. You want the ball, but you're getting the ball, and you're you're making very bad decisions with it. And then you're mad you're not getting a ball. You watch him. You see him pout when he doesn't get the ball. I'm frustrated. Making these faces when he finally does score. He can be efficient when he's taking the right shots. But he doesn't do it in his own. You can't leave him to his own devices again, which falls back to the coach. Tell him where his shots come from. I understand. And this is, this, to me, this is what frustrates me personally because I just don't like when things don't add up. You criticize Tom Thibodeau for being archaic and being an old school coach, but he's coaching the team, giving him a lot of freedom on offense. Unfortunately, it's not working out and you're blaming him for not being more structured on offense. That stuff gives me a headache. But he does need to be more structured on offense. He does need to be more directed. The offense does need to be more directed where you say, listen, if there's a mismatch, please go to it. Please post up Julius. Please do this. Please do that and stop leaving it up to them to figure it out because they're not figuring it out because they're not very good basketball players across the board, at least, a, at least the better guys, at least the guys who are making all the money. Now, I'm not going to rant about Julius Randle the whole episode because I do want to focus on R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett does escape. He does, gets a lot of criticism. I hate when people make strong-main arguments acting like people don't pick on R.J. Barrett or they don't criticize R.J. Barrett. That's not true. They've always criticized R.J. Barrett. And he deserves a lot of it, right? But the reason why R.J. Barrett doesn't stand out game to game is he he does not take as many obvious bad shots as Julius Randle does. He'll take some bad shots, but most of his bad shots will be at the rim. Most of his bad shots will be uh, the occasional contested three, but that's part of the game. Not terrible. And most of his bad shots come quickly. And that's what Julius doesn't do He'll hold the ball And take bad shots and That bothers people And his bad shots Usually don't come Below the free throw line Extended They come At the three point line Which is very frustrating Fans hate that Taking bad shots From the three point line It's just annoying Don't hold the ball And then take a bad shot From the three point line you Had the ball for five seconds That's the best thing You came up with Go to the basket And take a bad shot is no moan and groan because you didn't get a free, you didn't get any free throws? RJ is very quick in his decision making. Give him credit. It's not always good decision making, but he's very quick in it. So and his shot and his shots are not always bad shots to boot. He's just not making them. That takes you to the shot he took at the end of the Milwaukee game that he's getting killed for. I'm not really pissed off at that shot. They didn't have any direction offensively. They could have called, they could have called timeout, but it's like what I just said. You criticize him for being an old-school coach. You criticize him for uh, being archaic in his mindset. But he let the team play, and that's that's a new-school thing. And he let them – he had confidence in them. He let them go. But R.J. Barrett had the ball in his hands, and he decided he wanted to be the hero, and R.J. does that quite a bit. That's frustrating, but you like the attitude. I don't think the shot was a terrible shot. Yeah, I think he got a good look. I I saw Frank Isola make the comment or heard him make the comment – that RJ's shot was e- an easier shot than Grayson's shot. But you got to make it. You know, you're taking that shot like you're a great three-point shooter and you haven't been, but that's not a mindset that the player is going to have. So I'm not criticizing him for that shot. You want to get a better shot than the dribbling it in place and then shooting it up, sure. But it was a, a look that he could have hit. And going for a three in that situation is actually from an analytics perspective, the right shot. And my, my questions from an analytics perspective, and I'm going to hopefully have Seth Partnow who is an analytics guru and has uh, written a great book called The Mid-Range Theory. You go pick it up. Hoping to have him on the show one day. But one of the questions I do want to ask, when you talk about taking threes in that situation, as opposed to going for the quick two, which has proven out, apparently, to be a poor decision. Does it matter the quality of that three-point shot? Because when... And this is my issue when people just look at stats. And I'm not talking... I'm not accusing Seth now of this. I'm just saying in general. When people just look at numbers, almost like Julius Randle, you look at his averages they aren't that bad. But when you watch the game, you realize... Eh, when you have the strategy to go for a 3 when going for a quick 2 is an option are you looking at the quality of the 3 point shot when you're measuring the numbers it's it's different when you go for a 3 and it's a good look versus going for a 3 and it's not and you can have kind of kind of like the the mindset that any 3 point shot is better than a 2 point shot here some people will operate with that mindset. I don't believe that's kind of the way that works. It's kind of a thing where if you find a good three-point shot, it's a better opportunity than finding a three, finding or getting a quick two, as opposed to just taking any kind of three and saying, well, we took a three and that's what we were supposed to do. You see that a lot in football when it comes to going forward on fourth down and you kind of ignore all of the other variables that are in play. They might say, go for it when you're in this place of the field with this much time on the clock and the score is this. So the same thing with two-point conversions. That's what the numbers say, but there are variables at play that you have to consider. And when it comes to going for three instead of going for a quick two uh, at the end of the game, there are some variables, and I'm wondering if the quality of the shot is not considered to be one of them in those statistical measures. That said, I don't hate the shot that he took. I just hate the fact that he's probably not going to hit it. So that that's what bothers me If we're going to take a contested three I'd much rather contested three Maestro Julius Randle take it And again you're starting to see I, I, Honestly I, I really believe you're seeing A lot of Julius Randle shade Towards R.J. Barrett on the court These guys really need to make a trade They just do And trade season is just now Upon us You have another couple weeks December 15th That's the date that you need to be looking forward to not to say that some trades can't be make, made before then because it's, kind of, it's not like an official trade season thing. It's December 15th is when a lot of players who signed over the summer are available for trade. So the pool of available players opens up immensely. So teams tend to wait till around that date to make moves. The other reason is 20, 20 games is kind of where teams get a a good feel for what they have and what they don't on the floor, right? So they kind of feel like that's a good even number of games to have played to really get a sense for who you are as a team. So that's where you are now. We're in the trade season, and you're seeing some trades pop up, potential trades the Knicks can make. I saw a trade for Covington that included Rose and Fournier. I would do it in a second. I saw... I would actually would trade Hardenstein, but that would have to wait until December 15th. I would trade Hardenstein. I really would. And it's not because Hardenstein has not been good. You've seen a lot of criticism of him on Twitter. There are some things he's not good at, but the Knicks don't use what he's good at. And I talked about that a long time ago in the preseason. I talked about it. He's a high post passer. He can... Stretch the floor His numbers don't reflect it But that's what he's there to do Why don't you ask him to do it? Why don't you ask him to do it? That's, again That's a coaching issue And that's frustrating Of all the things that people criticize Tibbs over I might agree with some of them I would say If you're looking for one thing to point to It's not the defense It's not this, it's not that it's the fact that he has Hardenstein on the floor and doesn't use his skill set. To me, if there's one thing that you want to point to that says that maybe this man has to go, it's that. You don't bring players onto the team. And you can say, oh, well, he didn't want Cam Reddish. I'm pretty sure that he was okay with Hardenstein. Hartenstein has a good reputation around the league for doing a lot of the things that most coaches want players to do. And for the most part, he's done that even though he screwed up a time here and there. And recently you've seen Tibbs' patience start to run thin with him. But I think you're see I think you're seeing with some of the players, which is a, again another reason why Tibbs might be fire tuned. A lot of times when you see effort lacking, it's not just the players not playing hard, and I'm not absolving guys like Julius Randle, whose effort is not always there. When you see, sometimes you see effort and focus lacking. I'm not taking responsibility from the players. But some of that is just being disengaged because you don't have faith in what you're being asked to do to work. Or you're not. You don't have faith that you're going to be asked to do anything but play defense, essentially. That starts to wear on guys when things are not working. If it's working... Then guys might get locked in Some guys never get locked in But guys might get locked in It's working What you're asking us to do You're not asking me to do much But it's working I'll I'll find I'll stand in the corner When it's not working It's like Okay I can do more But I'm going to sit here And watch you do this other thing That's not working And hasn't been working That's frustrating That's exhausting And sometimes guys Start to lose focus And start to get disengaged When that's the case and I think you're seeing that with Arnstein. I think you're seeing that with Obi. Two guys who are in the rotation who are not being asked to do much. Cam Reddish is in a different scenario because he had to earn his place in the rotation. I think Cam is is more in a spot where he's just coming up interview right now. I think he's more in a spot where he's still trying to find a, a lane to be comfortable and, and just a little rhythm. And I don't absolve him of blame either. And I'm not as absolving Hartenstein and, and Obi of blame. But when you're not asking guys to do anything on offense but stand around like Obi, and you're asking a guy to use one-tenth of his abilities offensively and just send, setting screens all day, in Hartenstein, it's easy to get disengaged when things aren't working. Because you don't feel like you can do anything about it. Whereas if you had an offense that accentuated everyone's skills, they might be a little bit more faithful that, hey, if I keep doing this, the ball might find me, and then I can make this play, I can make that play. Oh, we're losing, and you're just asking me to set screens all day? Oh, we're losing, and you're just asking me to stand in the corner? That gets old when you're losing. Be a pro, but that gets old when you're losing. And again, Hardenstein was brought here because he had a skill set, that complimented Mitchell's offensively. And you don't ask him to do any of it. You ask him to do the same things you're asking Mitchell to do. That is an indictment on the entire coaching staff, and that's frustrating to me personally. I'm not saying Hardenstein is Will Chamberlain. I'm saying if he's on the floor, if you sign him to this contract, a cock-blocking contract, I'm going to stop saying it, but a cock-blocking contract. Because you had a young Sims on the roster who you also signed, but then you're asking him to do the same things that Sim and Mitchell do. And Mitchell and Sims don't necessarily complement each other. So, Hartenstein does complement them if you use his outside shooting, if you use his high post passing. You saw Mitchell Robinson, by the way, make a comment about working with Amari Stoudemire on his post moves, and he answered in a way that should piss you off on on a few levels. He said, why should I work on my post moves? I'm not asked to do post moves in his offense. Now, one, that's frustrating because a player should always take the better of himself. But on the other end, you're starting to see these players, you're starting to see them comment that this offense is limiting to too many people. It's limiting to too many people. Mitchell Robinson will have people ping down in the post. And I'll see guys, and I talked about this in the preseason, you've seen guys try to get him the ball, and that's, an, that's a step up from last year where they wouldn't even try to get him the ball. But they, they don't get it to him. They don't explore mismatches on this team, and it is frustrating. And I'm starting to see that dynamic between R.J. and Randall on the court, and it's frustrating. I think Randall's frustrated with R.J. because R.J. doesn't get as much blame or hate that he does, frankly. And he gets way more shots. R.J. gets way more shots than Julius Randle. R.J. Barrett is, last I checked, which was uh, end of the week last week, he was 20th in field goal attempts in the league. 20th. 20th in 23 games. He is 20th in the league in field goal attempts. Who does this guy think he is? Listen, I would trade Hardenstein in that trade. He's not good enough doing what this coach is asking him to do. He's not a better option for the organization than Sims is for various reasons contracts, young players, development, etc. I would definitely move Rose to somewhere, not because he's playing terribly. I think that's overstated. He's just not playing enough, and his role has been diminished by the fact that Jalen Brunson does what he does. He was valuable to the Knicks when they didn't have anyone who does what they do. Now they have Brunson. You come off... In theory, he comes off the bench and gives you a little bit of what Brunson does, but he's not good enough defensively, and he's not better defensively than IQ is, so he's just kind of eaten into IQ and grimes his minutes and to a lesser extent cams you gotta gotta move them if you can and obviously you want to get fournier off the off the books make that deal make that deal tomorrow is it going to change their their uh win losses uh rose is really the only player that would move in that deal outside of the hardenstein variation rose is the only guy who would move in that deal that would change your on court on court rotations they might add Covington to the rotation. I don't see it. Not if that's the only move they make. If they trade Hardenstein, Sims is probably going to get promoted to backup center. Covington still isn't going to play but spot minutes. So is it going to change their win losses immediately? No, but it will help them contract-wise or help their books. It'll undo the mis- signing Hardenstein to a team that's not going to use Hardenstein for what he does. And maybe you'll give the coach a better chance of making the team look better now that Sims is playing more minutes and you've opened up rotation minutes at the guard position and allowing two or three defensive wing players to be on the court more often. Again, it doesn't solve the R.J. Julius thing. It just doesn't. So they play again tonight. A tough game. Donovan Mitchell, you know he's going to be out of his mind the Knicks just aren't equipped right now to stop anything that the Cavs do it was a close game when they played them, but Garland didn't play in that game Jared Allen is too much for Mitchell Robinson I just don't see a win in this game I would not be surprised if Tibbs did not make it after this game if he survives this game I should say I can see him getting fired I have said before, I think it's ridiculous to fire the coach for being exactly what the roster is supposed to be. If they fall four games below 500, with the way they've been playing at home, you can no longer make that argument. Again, they can still finish 500, but with all of the other things that you're seeing on the court, and again, I can name a dozen things and maybe one day I will if he survives this game. There's just no reason to keep this guy as a coach. He's not He's not elevating. You're seeing holes in how he approaches the game. And you're not really seeing some of the things he's doing that's keeping him in the game sometimes, but you're seeing holes in how he's approaching the game. I think the players could play better than they're playing if they had better direction. And we could talk about the Brunson Tibbs relationship and some of the comments Tibbs made. We'll be on after this game against the Cavaliers and see where things are. If they pull off an upset, they save Tibbs' job, in theory, in that Utah game. Let's see where they are after this one. We'll be here. Looking forward to it. Depressed now. This depression has come, this, this holiday season for the Knicks. Big game tonight at the Garden. You got to be excited to see if these guys will play with the intensity. Something they didn't do in this Dallas game. But we'll be here. Can't wait. Make sure you check out SportsEthos.com. Make sure you follow at SportsEthos and at EthosNicks. Until next time.